Welcome to the Power Hour. I'm Adrienne Herbert, wellness coach, international speaker and author. Each week I speak to a variety of guests from business founders to Olympic athletes, leading coaches, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, their rules to live by and what motivates them to get up out of bed each day. Personally, I am on a mission to encourage, motivate and inspire. So I hope that the Power Hour will help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. Today I am joined by writer, presenter, stand-up comedian and best-selling author, the brilliant Viv Groskop. Today I want to talk about confidence and in fact I can think of no better person to talk to about this topic. And I also want to talk about happy high status. So what that is, what that means and how we can all learn to be effortlessly confident. Welcome to the show, Viv. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to meet you and have this conversation. I've been looking forward to this, especially as you've been accompanying me on my morning runs recently as I've been listening to Happy High Status. Yeah, love that. I mean, you totally embody that kind of power hour. I think that is not how I spend my power hour, but I know lots of people do listen to me on my podcast, How to Win the Room, when they're running. And I love that. I feel like I've been for a run with them, even though I haven't been for a run at all. Yeah. And I think for me, I've been doing this for years. You know, I listen to a lot of books on Audible and it's just really, really changed my life. I never, ever was kind of, you know, at school, I was never a bookworm. My sister was, she was the one with, you know, academic stacked books. And I always used to find that for me to sit and concentrate, I'm quite easily distracted. So I'd read a few pages. And then if I was on a train, for example, my mind wanders and I think, oh, I don't know what I've just read. Whereas when I listen to books as an audio learner, I can listen to a book in a week because obviously once you condense it down if, if you're running every day or walking every day and I was going through book after book after book and I was recommending books and I was learning so much and I just think it would have transformed my life had I had Audible when I was in high school. Yeah it's so interesting that transformation that we've seen over the last 20 years and the idea of this kind of hierarchy of learning like there is no hierarchy really mm. it's very artificial like if you read a book or you read it as an ebook or you listen to it on 1.5 or 2 double speed <laughs> on audible it doesn't matter you've mm. still absorbed the knowledge and the information and we all learn in different ways and i think at different times in our life as well we have different types of concentration and we have a different kind of confidence about our learning at different times in our lives and I think it's amazing if you can go through a phase like you clearly are of oh my god I've discovered this way of taking in information and it really works for me mm. <laughs> you know that's that's so amazing when that happens I love that yeah and it's a long phase because like I said I think I don't know I should probably look on my audible and see but it's probably hundreds of books now um, and you're right the word confidence once you for example I suppose I figured out okay I retain a lot of information when I hear it I'm able to say it back you know the the dates the names the people the places I can retain it all because I've listened to it and even just right. knowing that even just knowing that about myself has been a really powerful skill and tool for me to learn information and I know if it's something I need to prepare for and remember I'm thinking well just reading it isn't going to do it so I'll speak it out loud so yeah lots and lots of things but we're going to get into this topic of confidence and I think firstly because I really enjoyed you know how you the detail and the kind of the nuance and the complexity of this topic that you discuss so well in the book so that's really where I wanted to start because I think we use the word confidence interchangeably sometimes without really considering its meaning and yeah in, in some contexts we think that it's we hear that it's a good thing and we might want to have more of it and in other instances we know I definitely think growing up we can we can hear this word confidence or being too confident or overly confident as as a bad thing so simply my first question Viv is how do you or how should we define confidence well I define it as happy high status which is why I chose that title for this book and obviously the expression happy high status three separate words it's not an expression that anybody really knows mm. um, so it sounds like a very weird thing to choose I first came across this expression more than 10 years ago when I was first doing stand-up comedy. So for the first part of my career through my 20s and early 30s, I was a journalist for places like The Guardian and The Observer and The Financial Times. 
And then in my mid-30s, I had three small children. I was having a bit of a wobble as a freelancer. It was just after the financial crash of 2008 when there's a lot of advertising going out of print media just before everyone started being on social media, really. And I had this real moment of thinking what I've planned for my life, which is just to be a journalist, really, it's not going to exist soon (laughs) and it's all going wrong. (laughs) And I've got these three kids and how am I going to make sure that I have a, you know, good life as I get older? And I also realized as I was telling my kids as they were growing up to do what they want with their lives and not listen to other people that I hadn't entirely listened to that myself. So I had this kind of like mini midlife crisis when I was about 35, 36. And I discovered stand-up as part of that because when I was a child, I loved drama, I loved acting, I loved showing off, singing, always been a total karaoke hogger, hog the microphone at karaoke. I secretly want to be Jane McDonald, basically. That is, she, she is living my parallel life. An icon. And she's, she's doing it brilliantly. Um, so I always had this other side of me that I hadn't really properly acknowledged and started messing around with it. But it became more and more serious and I ended up kind of switching careers and doing a lot of comedy and started hosting book tours for people like Dawn French and Joe Brand. Um, You know, through a lot of contacts I had in journalism, really, I got a quick entry into that world. So all the time when I was first doing stand-up, I was nervous and I wasn't entirely confident. Although I am quite a confident person, you have to project such a massive confidence or at least confidence, you don't, you know, lots of comedians, their act is to be insecure or to be like weird or freaky or whatever. So it's not necessarily a straightforward confidence, but you need to really look as if you know what you're doing. And I very quickly came across this concept that's called happy high status. So in improv comedy, which is things like um, whose line is it anyway? They do lots of improv on Saturday Night Live. Tina Fey is schooled uh, in that school of comedy. It's it's part of an American tradition. It's also a British tradition. And it came out of the 1950s, 60s, 70s. And this guru uh, who recently died, actually, Keith Johnston, founded these ideas about status on stage. And status on stage is or even on screen, you can think about it like in terms of succession, like succession is a great way to think about it. So you've got this family, the father is clearly like the top dog. And then you've got these four siblings who are all vying for his attention. Sometimes they're up, sometimes they're down. And their status is not necessarily about their status in terms of their wealth, like in succession, they're all wealthy. Mm. Their status is about their emotional and psychological status in relation to each other. So this concept of status in comedy, in screen, in fiction, in all kinds of storytelling is really about who's up, who's down. And a lot of that is connected to confidence. So how confident are you to approach somebody who is supposedly intimidating or more senior than you Um, how confident are you when somebody comes up to you who's very needy and needs something and is putting you in a position of authority Mm. and the idea of happy high status is that you get yourself into a zone where you're not overly confident and you're not trying to dominate other people but you're not underconfident either so if people asked you to lead or they needed you to lead you could. Mm. So it's a very kind of balanced way of holding your ego in check, being confident, but not in that kind of superficial, stereotypical way of confidence that you so brilliantly described that we've all often grown up with from childhood. It's like confident people. Oh, they talk really loudly. They take up all the space in the room. They're really annoying, right? Happy high status is moving away from that stereotype and asking what does it look like if you're comfortable in your status, in your way that you move through the world, in how you're feeling today? What does that look like? The happy part is not like happy, happy, smiley, everything's great. It means more like balanced or relaxed. So typical examples of people in the public eye who I think have this in spades, uh, George Clooney, typical example, Michelle Obama, Barack Obama, uh, Julia Roberts, another great example. Um, sometimes not great to talk about celebrities in, in relation to this because we can then think, oh, well, it's easy to be happy high status if you're George Clooney. I mean, for goodness sake. But it gives you an, exa- an uh, idea, like a visual idea 
of what it means like to look relaxed in yourself. Mm. You know, in French, they have the expression bien dans sa peau, well in your skin, bien mm. dans sa peau. And there's a lot of expressions in different languages that since the book has come out, I've he- I've heard like there's an expression in Italian, which is called sprezzatura, which again means like being comfortable in yourself. We, we recognize so, it when we see it, don't we? We recognize it yeah. in others. And when we don't see it, I think we can often feel uncomfortable as well. We recognize both people that are, are, that do have happy high status. And sometimes I think those who, who really feel flustered or they have self-doubt and all of those things, and it can make you feel uncomfortable. Yeah, the other way I use uh, to help people visualize this is if you're comfortable with the idea of Buddhism or yoga or meditation, this is like a kind of active Zen. So you are Zen in yourself. You know, you're, you're feeling, you're neutral. You're waiting to see what's going to happen. You're open to things. Um, the other way of thinking about it that I use a lot is to think the opposite of petty. Mm. So when we are petty, we are not happy high status. We're like looking for somebody who's slighted us. We're looking for every little kind of snarky remark or, oh, that person looked at me funny, right? Yep. That's the opposite of this. So you, sometimes sometimes I will think to myself, okay, what is the happy high status response in this situation? Or how can I be more happy high status today? Mm. Um, and sometimes I'll think, okay, what is the least petty response Mm. Or sometimes to ask yourself, what is the most generous response? And I'm not suggesting that this is a state of being that you would manage to be in all of the time. Nobody can do that, not even Michelle Obama, right? Um, it Very interestingly, if you watch the Netflix documentary on Michelle Obama, when she is between moments of being public and being happy high status in front of other people, she listens to music so when she's traveling between speaking engagements or TV interviews, she listens to music really loudly on her phone mm. and she just relaxes and chills out. Uh, so she isn't trying to be happy high status all of the time. She's giving herself a break and she's recharging. So we can't be this all of the time. Um, for example, I am not this all of the time. Last night I was at the British Podcast Awards and my podcast was nominated for a, a best business podcast and we didn't win. Mm. And I immediately felt myself being petty when we, d- we didn't win because I'm very competitive and right. I always want to w- win everything. And I just think, I mean, I don't literally think it only counts if you win. Of course, I don't think that. But I don't believe the platitude of like, oh, it's the taking part that counts. No, it's not. You try to win. I came here (laughs) here to win. And so I feel this sort of little anger and a little gremlin inside me, you know, wanting to express this like a petulant child. And I kept thinking, Viv, come on, you need to be happy high status. You need to show grace. You need to show generosity. But another part of me was thinking, well, no, actually, it's okay to be human. Just like be angry for half an hour, have a little bitch to yourself inside your head. Like don't let it out because other people don't want to see that. It's ugly. Okay? So you, weren't, you weren't booing so, from your seat then. No, so I didn't have like a tantrum, but I just recognized to myself like it's okay to, to be petty now and again. Mm. But but most of the time it's really going to benefit you and everyone around you if you try to incorporate more moments of this idea of happy high status. And I hope, as you suggested already, that this offers people a reset. It offers them a new way of thinking about confidence that is evidenced, you know, from these ideas of drama and stage and screen. So we we, we recognize happy high status and status because we're reading it all the time. Mm. Anytime that we watch a drama of any kind or comedy of any kind, we're using these status ideas. We're schooled in them without realizing. So once you start to recognize this and see this everywhere it becomes easier to embody it yourself. Mm. And you also start to move away from these stereotypical ideas of confidence that are often, I think, so toxic and hold us back. And they're so rooted in things that we've been told as children, you know, like don't speak too loudly or you've got fun. I've heard so many people say to me they've been told there's something weird about their voice or that they're acting. They don't, their accent is wrong or whatever. And it's, it's never true. Mm. You know, most people, like I would say, 
I don't think I've ever met anybody that I've thought your voice is ugly and you need to change it. It's interesting because I get I, I would I would like to guess that many of those people are women. I think it's often women totally. that are told to change their voice. So I've heard women say before that they've actively tried to make their voice deeper or softer or less shrill. And it's quite interesting feedback, isn't it? For someone to think the tone of your voice is the tone of your voice. I think there's other things we can think about if you speak really quickly when you're nervous, you know, slowing your down your speech is, is maybe different. But I think, yeah, the, the tone of your voice or, or another, I think, misconception that people probably have heard about confidence is that it's a personality trait and it's the same as extroversion and that oh for example myself i'm an extrovert so therefore people assume that means you're confident and that confidence and extroversion applies to all areas of your life whereas in my experience i'd say i'm very confident in certain settings where i feel capable i feel i suppose as you would say happy high status and i know exactly what those scenarios are where i feel that but i do not feel that in other situations and scenarios and i actually find it difficult great question for you to transfer that feeling or that skill or that happy high status into an environment or a scenario or a relationship uh, dynamic where you know that you don't feel that and you, you mentioned the succession characters and of course if anyone has seen it you know this jostling between different dynamics of power and status can be exhausting it can be debilitating and I think certain relationships and certain people can almost bring that out in us and diminish we we can feel our confidence diminish and if you recognize actually every time I have an interaction with that person why do I find myself shrinking I think it's it's um yeah it's a really complex one what what advice would you give for for me or for anyone else listening who thinks okay in this setting I really want to take that happy high status feeling over here but I struggle to do that yeah I like using this idea of what I call overlay So I used to use this sometimes when I was first starting to do stand-up of trying to get a feeling very deep in my body um, through breathing, through using my memory, through visualization, through meditation. It doesn't have to take very long. You can do this for like three, five minutes. Um, I used to use an app a lot that's called Budify that takes you through, so B-U-D-D-H-I-F-Y. I think the app Headspace also does a similar thing. It takes you through a guided meditation that just lets you calm down. So you then have these feelings in your body of calm, of neutrality, of not expecting anything or needing anything, that very relaxed feeling that we have when we are maybe in nature, when we're with people who we don't have to pretend anything with them, like good friends, good, uh, you know, family can be a difficult one because we're often, a lot of us triggered by (laughs) difficult family members. So just think about like the family members who do make you feel really relaxed or the friends who make you feel really relaxed. Situations where you're just, there's no pressure and you're just yourself. You're not trying to be anything. And actually thinking and feeling what it is in your body to be that. Where is that in your body? A lot of us don't take the time. And I've done a lot of work with different groups of people experimenting with this. And it's in different places for different people. I'm sure people who do yoga and meditation will will know this because they're in that state a lot. But for some people, that's that feeling of calm in their stomach, or they might feel very grounded through their feet, or they might feel like their heart feels very centered, or they might feel like their head feels light in a good way Mm. and it's a feeling of being grounded so being more physical taking things out of your mind and putting it into your body and I mean I'm not saying there's any science in this by the way this is purely stuff that I have observed and used in my own performance right I'm sure you could I'm sure you could invent science around this but I don't think you necessarily need to Mm. (laughs) if like if it resonates with you great um so take that feeling and think what would it be like if I could feel a part of that in a very pressurized situation? Mm. And just planting the seed of that idea sometimes is enough. Sometimes you need to do something practical to overlay that feeling. So I would sometimes do breathing ahead of a difficult moment or a pressurized moment. So like I had one, a gig sort of quite early on in my stand up time where I was booked for a three night residency somewhere. The first night went really badly. The second night went 
slightly better but really not good enough better and I had like a third chance and I was just like if this doesn't if I don't crack it on this third night this is really not good and so I did these breathing exercises and meditation (laughs) and I made sure that my breathing pattern was for something like you know four breaths in as four counts in six counts out that I did the same just before I went on stage so I was trying to replicate and overlay relaxed feelings relaxed habits from an unpressured situation into a pressured situation and sometimes I think just the act of having thought about that having made space for it having acknowledged the fact that this is not to do with you being not a good enough person or you not being in the right place or some kind of sign from the universe that you're rubbish and should just give up in whatever situation you're in it's all to do with our physical physiological reactions to pressure yeah which are just completely natural and normal and very often under pressure all that we're experiencing is a flood of adrenaline in our body and we experience this as oh no run away (laughs) and really we should experience it as oh wow i'm alive get ready this is amazing i have a chance get ready like you know athletes know all about this right this is yeah this is what I was going to say actually because as someone who's worked in you know the well-being in the fitness industry I've worked with a lot of athletes I'm not a professional athlete myself at all but I do a lot of endurance events races challenges and I think this is something the preparation part that you're describing is exactly the same it's not just the physical preparation of training and putting in the miles and practicing and rehearsing but the mental aspect of calming the mind being prepared for Mm. especially in sports where tennis a perfect example where you're not in control of the other person you're only in control of yourself I think there's so much of what you just said that can apply in so many different areas and it's so powerful for people to realize that it's not just I think sometimes people when they hear that oh I did breathing techniques they kind of go oh yeah breathing breath work yoga but actually the power and the science behind it of what you just said the preparation a practical thing that you can do you are in control of that before you go on stage to perform or before you go into maybe a difficult meeting or a conflict or you have to present at work or any of those things I think just knowing yourself that I've done something in preparation to prepare myself to go into this environment is is maybe it's placebo maybe Maybe it's not but I think people should actually yeah really take seriously the the physiological impact as you just rightly mentioned about our hormones so cortisol adrenaline and also I guess a bit further than that the other things that are impacting our physiology and our well-being so for example being sleep deprived and I know that you you know you talk about this in the book or people if you are suffering from anxiety or if you've been drinking alcohol the night before all of these things that we kind of just separate off and go yeah okay those things are happening but yeah I'm stressed Adrienne yes I'm tired Adrienne but okay let's talk about confidence how can I be more confident and they don't necessarily always link those things between well-being physiology and an emotional state such as happy high status and confidence so yeah could you maybe talk to us a little bit about how I suppose maybe coaching therapy and also our well-being practices can actually help us to achieve this uh, happy high status Yeah, I think some of it is about basic common sense. (laughs) And I don't mean that in a judgmental way, although I am a mum of three teenagers. (laughs) Well, they think I don't have any common sense and I think they don't have any common sense. So that's a whole other podcast. But a lot of it is about asking yourself why you think you have a certain problem and looking at the context. Mm. So I've done a lot of work with women especially around confidence and public speaking and preparing for difficult moments which has led to me you know wanting to let more people know about this idea of happy high status because a lot of people find it really releases them to to start again like press reset on their confidence and think okay what happy high status okay so that's what it looks like on Michelle Obama what does it look like on me it's a great kind of way of thinking of your confidence as an act of artistic creation right Mm -hmm. But often when I dig into the reasons why people are feeling unconfident or they don't want to do this speech or they do a lot of speaking, but it all goes wrong after two minutes or 
they open really strong, but five minutes in, they suddenly think, oh my God, what am I doing here? Like there's lots of sort of common patterns that people have. They're all, all different, but these, these problems are commonly reported. And I'll say, you know, what else is going on in your life right now? Um, what do you do directly before you go on stage? And, and I, and I see people doing this at events, you know, I see people just before they go on stage, checking their phone, like checking their Instagram checking their email that is crazy (laughs) you know like I mean I would maybe have seen stand-ups doing this Um, (laughs) it's really not advisable and and most kind of decent performers who don't want to be putting themselves under additional pressure they wouldn't do this like it's about creating space Mm. so you have to create the space create the moment you you can't put these unrealistic expectations on yourself Mm. in the same way that I don't know, like you wouldn't try and answer loads of work emails whilst having cocktails with your friends or, well, you might, but you'd realize that's a really stupid thing to do. But people are just doing so much crazy multitasking Mm. and distracting themselves constantly, often for good reason, you know, because they might have a stressful life and they might have a demanding job. But then they will say, oh, I just don't feel confident. Well, of course you don't. You need to make space for everything, make time for everything. You are not going to feel confident if you haven't. I've I've had other people who say like, oh, I'm having all these problems with my public speaking. I keep blanking. Uh, We'll dig down and discuss what's that about. And often we'll talk about the company at length and their awful boss and all of that. And then I might just say idly, um, when did you last have a good night's sleep? Oh, about four years ago. <laughs> okay. Well, you don't think that's a like, hello? Yeah. And you said that you and, said rightly that you know these things seem like common sense, and we might kind of nod along and laugh. But actually, what you just described around the busyness of life and the fact that we are doing so many things, many of us switching, perhaps you know, parenting, work, all these things. And actually, I went. It's made me think that I went to an event two weeks ago where I was presenting and you know, people will kindly say, oh, you know, we know that you're busy and what time would you like to arrive? And the event was starting at 9.30. So I said, 9.30 in the morning, a.m. And so I said, oh, I'll probably be there about 8.15 if that's okay. And they kind of looked at me like, what are you, they were like, well, we're getting there at 8.15 just to open and go, you know, set up. But I said, well, I'd like to get there at that time as well for a few reasons. One, I think because I travel into London from Hertfordshire. So heaven forbid, if there's delays, if you're the person speaking at the event, you can't be late. So there's that. Secondly, for me, I know I'm someone, I said it already. I've probably said it twice already. I'm very easily distracted. So I have to, when I get to the place, have a little bit of time where after the kind of hello, hi, come in, blah, blah, before I'm straight on to present. I need a little bit of that white space in between. And also I think that if you're there, like you just said, you haven't, just having space, I feel like the rushing, any feeling of rushing, just doesn't make us feel good. So I think anything where you're going to present, anything where you're being asked to speak, and when you mentioned other speakers going onto stage, I just think being realistic and letting the the venue, the organizers, whoever it is, you don't have to be a diva about it, but being realistic with your time and not saying to them, yeah, it's fine for me to arrive at 9.15 and you're gonna shove a mic on me and shove me straight on in, because you feel rushed, well, personally. And that's when I think the first bit, you know, people say the first bit of their talk or maybe the whole thing is a blank. And they go, I can't remember what I said. I just went on and I said it and I came off and it was a blur. That's when I think you've just, yeah, that feeling of rushing just makes us so, it's just not a good space to be in, you know? Yeah. When you were talking just then, I was thinking it's about creating the conditions. Yeah. So what what you're doing when you do that is that you're creating the conditions for yourself to be relaxed, for yourself to have what I call slack so you've created slack um, in that, you know, you could be a bit late and you'll still be fine. You could have a distraction on the way there and you'll still be fine. You can have something go wrong with the tech and you'll still be fine. <laughs> like, you know, And you can have an extra coffee if you want one. Like you've created slack. Mm. So for us to not be afraid of creating the conditions for ourselves to feel good and yeah. to have time to be happy high status to have this neutral confidence and this zen whatever you want to call it and I think especially as women 
And especially thinking about these kind of moments, which increasingly lots of us, even those who are not particularly comfortable, increasingly people face these moments where they have to speak publicly, um, even if it's not on stage, it could even be on a virtual screen um, where we have to present, where we have to be on social media all the times where we have to be on like creating the conditions before the moment that you have to be on I found over the years of talking about this that so many women in particular and it's not unique to women but it is women in particular and you use the word diva like we feel afraid Mm. that someone will think we are a diva if we create the conditions so interesting you say that because I am someone I'll be honest with you Viv throughout my life I have been told I went to performing arts school and I actually did perform in the West End so I was in that world for a while but I've always been told I don't know whether it's also a a stereotype of being a woman of colour and people talking about, you know, diva this, diva that, Beyonce this, Tina Turner that. And I definitely, you know, this was 20 years ago or how, um, yeah, how old am I? Maybe 18 years ago that I had male professionals telling me you're a diva. And um, because you're confident or because you, yeah, maybe want certain conditions to prepare before you go on stage or because maybe just simple things like, okay, I don't drink coffee because I do now, but I didn't used to drink coffee because of the kind of, you know, energy and adrenaline. I'd be like, I just have water. Oh, she's a diva. So it's interesting that actually, yeah, it still, I guess, has stayed with me. It's probably still there. Like inher- I've, I've, I've kind of held on to that word, which is like, oh, I don't want people to think I'm being a diva if I arrive early or if I ask to just sit quietly and not talk to anyone right before I go on stage. But exactly as you just said, I'm just creating a calm environment for myself because I know myself well enough that if I'm chatting to everybody, hi, how are you? Oh yeah, let's do an Instagram story. Let's take a selfie. All of those things I know for me, my head's not going to be in the right place. Um, So it's, yeah, it's interesting. I don't know why I still use that word, but that's probably explains it a, a little bit. Well, I think, yeah, that's really interesting that in that, I mean, it's hilarious that you encountered that in that world which depends on divas for its survival and profitability like thank god thank god for divas but (laughs) so many people in the performance world as actors and performers and i think they're told it's this really kind of yeah exactly counter thing where you're being told you've got to go on stage you've got to be confident at the time i was going to auditions for shows i was 19 so you're going out to west end shows auditioning you've got to go and you know line up and do your do the your best but you're also being told i certainly was don't appear overly confident don't go in thinking that you you know you know everything because you're new and you've got to have this humble i'm new here and i'm so grateful just to have the opportunity to even stand up in front of you and sing but then you've also got to yeah display this capability and confidence it's a really really i found it quite toxic and stressful to try and manage that line of like i'm always trying to dilute myself in person but then when you step on the stage now it's okay for you to turn on that light yeah it's very counterintuitive isn't it it's Mm. very hard for people and there's a parallel you know for everyday life in what you were saying at the beginning of this conversation this stereotype that we have of confidence is on the one hand we say to kids and we want people generally to like be there be your best self like come on it's not so scary put your best foot forward <laughs> and then at the same time we're like oh you know don't be too full of yourself mm, who, do you, who does she think she is so finding that middle ground is really really hard and for me having thought about this and talked about this for so many different people I've learned that we have to reframe these ideas for ourselves so you have to think great call me diva all you want all I do is create the conditions you can call it whatever you want you can call me a bitch you can call me a a a bitch boss (laughs) boss bitch I don't know what it's called like these labels are all so stupid like you can put whatever label you want on me it's not my problem Mm -hmm. I'm just creating the conditions and it's okay for you to say Um, And I've um, on the podcast, How to Own the Room, where we talk about these precise moments all of the time. It's okay to say, um, like uh, Dame Stephanie Shirley, who's this amazing woman who um, founded a tech company in the 1960s. And um, in her 80s, she did a TED talk. And for her TED talk, she said, I don't like standing up on stage. I know you always want people to stand up. I don't want to stand up and I will be, it was in Canada and she lives in London. Um, I will be bringing my own kitchen stool 
with me on the plane um, because that's how I feel comfortable sitting. Uh, are you okay to pay for the tran- you know, transport of the stool? <laughs> and they were like, yes, because she created the conditions. Was she being a diva? No. She was just asking for something perfectly reasonable. Um, You mentioned Tina Turner. You know, shortly before she died, she gave a fascinating interview about how she creates the conditions to be Tina Turner. Yeah. She is not Tina Turner in her everyday life. She is just the person who prepares to be Mm. Tina Turner in the moments when it is demanded. Yeah. That's not being a diva. That's being a professional. Mm. And we mustn't be afraid to be professionals. And we know better than anyone what it is that we want to achieve, how this will be achieved. The problem is as well with this idea of confidence is that a lot of people think there's some kind of standard or mythical arrangement that they need to um, just go along with. Well, there isn't. There isn't. You know, if you don't want to have a handheld mic, you can ask for a face mic. Um, if you can see the room is quite small and you don't need a microphone, you can ask to speak off mic. I mean, check with the tech team, but maybe do a sound check to see if that works. Um, if you want to sit down instead of standing up, you can do that. If you want a podium, you can have one or you can ask for the podium to be taken away. Yeah. Um, if you need a moment to collect your thoughts when you're in the middle of a Zoom call, you can say, I'm just going to take a moment. I'm going to turn my I'm going to mute and turn my screen off. I'll be back in a sec. You know, you can always create the conditions yeah. and it's not being a diva if yeah. you do it in a way that is natural, kind to others, not wasting anybody's time. It's actually the right thing to do rather than the wrong thing to do. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And something I've been keen to ask you about, and I think it relates to this, is age. And I know that you wrote a piece for Grazia when you turned 50, saying, you know, talking mm. about this. And you mentioned that that lady then with the TED talk being 80. And I think that... I think I've heard the rhetoric that like, oh, as you get older, you care less, you know, we all give less shits because you get older and you don't care as much, which I don't know how much truth is in that. But I do think people treat you differently when you're older. And maybe, you know, that's what I'd like to ask you about is that if people are thinking they lack confidence or that they are, this is something they're actively working on, but they're younger, maybe 20s, late 20s, early 30s. Sometimes I think people aren't given um, maybe the, the same level of respect or the same level of responsibility or I've seen it definitely in work scenarios where younger people more junior people it's kind of like well you don't have as much say or as much validity because you're young and, and to be honest I look young as well I'm 36 but I feel like I, I definitely think in in the last 10 years there's been so many times where people have kind of gone oh you know roll their eyes as if to go oh, okay who, who's this person going to tell us because she looks like she's 21 what what could you possibly what wisdom could you possibly have to impart and I kind of feel like as I'm getting older I'm actually feeling more confident but I think other people treat me differently because of maybe the more senior role that I'm in I don't know what it is but yeah all of these questions I suppose are do you think that confidence and age go hand in hand as we get told sometimes um, and for younger people how can they overcome that because they're not going to be 50 tomorrow <laughs> Yeah, I think it's um, it's very simplistic, a lot of these ideas. And they're completely understandable. Like, who wouldn't want to cling on to the idea that life just gets better as you get older? <laughs> right? That's gonna, that idea is always going to make you some money, that idea. And I think it's so much more complicated than that. Because on the one hand, I think it is true that the more maturity, the more wisdom you have, the more life experience you have, the more presence of mind you can bring to a situation because you're more likely to have seen something like it before right yeah. the long the long if you're lucky enough to to live that long then you start you stop seeing things for the first time and you start to see more patterns hopefully you also see new things all the time and you get surprised so then i do i do think you get more confidence in a sort of cliched basic way because the problem is on the opposite of that certainly for women you'll hear well yeah you also get the menopause and the menopause is going to bring a lot of knocks to your confidence. Mm. Um, similarly, aging generally 
you're going to have changes in your body, in your sleep, in the way that you, you know, feel in your body and in, in the, what you're capable of. And your hair. And you're not yeah, supposed oh, to yeah. care. I've got grey hair now. Everyone says you're not supposed to care. And I actually do care. And I think I probably care yeah. more than I thought that I would. And I'm almost ashamed to admit that I care. But I'm like, I don't right. like it. I don't like it. I look at it. I'm like, my hair's so dark. And obviously I have Afro hair for people that can't see and don't know what I look like. So then when you see a white straight hair, you're like, oh. <gasps> oh my gosh and it's like yeah even that I feel ashamed to admit and it's kind of like I drink it over it (laughs) yeah well it's a very very difficult I think this is a very interesting moment historically not to sort of get really deep about this but we live in a moment where say 20 or 30 years ago you wouldn't even think about that because you just think well of course I must dye my hair I must. I mustn't let anyone see this white hair. And that was normal. You know, there was just no questions asked really about that. You just conform to the uh, what's expected. Whereas now we have choice. Yeah. So you, on the one hand, you've got people saying, oh, embrace everything about yourself. That is natural. <laughs> and then you've got other people saying, no, it's my feminist choice to completely remodel my face and my entire body surgically at the age of 21. This is my feminist choice. Right. And I'm not putting any judgment out there on anyone for either of those extremes, but it becomes uncomfortable for all of us mm. to realize oh, in this world of choice how do I feel comfortable with my own choice and is it the right one and how do I find the confidence to know what it is that I want and say well I, I, I'm you know I've been growing out my hair gray since just before COVID Your which is convenient it looks oh thank great. you it's well, look. my husband's completely I'm... gray and white but it looks incredible and it's sexy and chic and it, sadly mine isn't looking like that <laughs> Well, uh, mine didn't, mine didn't, I didn't really like mine Mm. um, for probably two years (laughs) because I just looked like a sort of half-ass badger, really. (laughs) But I just kind of went with it because I just thought, well, I'm sorry, but this is just what it looks like. Mm. And I'm on this journey and who knows, I could change my mind at any moment and that's also okay. But I think that confidence in yourself comes from just knowing that you are oh this is going to sound really rubbish but you are you Mm. like you are the only you and nobody else can tell you how to live your life or what's right or what's wrong you can only know in your own heart does this feel kind of vaguely like the right thing to do today does it feel right today? today. And you can change, yeah, today. You well, can change your mind tomorrow. That's what I wanted to say, because when you said, you know, you're you, I think sometimes people have this idea of you as this cemented thing. Like they have to figure out who am I? And then that's it. Okay, this is who I am. And as someone who's definitely had a lot of change, I've had so much change in my life in the last four years, that it's interesting, isn't it? Because some people will see that change and they'll go, wow, good for you. And certain friends who know and love me will say, oh, it's great to see you, this like happy, full, vibrant colorful self but for others they can kind of go oh well well you didn't used to do those things or you didn't used to and and, and for example if you say for example you'd want to change your diet you say okay i want to go vegan go vegan but that doesn't have to define you and then if you decide after a year you know what i'm not like enjoying this diet i'm going to change it then oh wait, you're not vegan anymore and i think it's that idea of finding you but the confidence i think that i maybe have now is accepting that this is me right now so don't please remind me of who I was 10 years ago or who I was 10 days ago or that I contradicted myself because I once said this I just think this is who I am right now and I'm sure in 10 years it's going to be very different because things change and yeah navigating motherhood is so different when you have a two-year-old to a 12-year-old so Mm. I think yeah having confidence to allow and permission and all of that to just let whichever version of you exists change we don't have to stay the same Yeah. Well, I think what is helpful is to think what counts as consistency for me? Like, is this consistent? And the consistency might be I adapt and change when life adapts and changes around me. Mm. That is consistent. It doesn't mean you're always the same. It means that you're consistently changing. Um, And, you know, being consistent, having integrity and having those for yourself because other and I wanted to tie this one with what you were asking earlier about younger people and how they can react if if people are judging them and saying, well, you're young, who watched anybody listen to you? A lot of these ideas about feeling comfortable in yourself, deciding how to live your life, deciding how to have your hair, 
all of these things, big and small, <laughs> we question ourselves and we don't trust our own confidence because we are waiting for other people's judgment. So, and often other people's judgment is not really about us. It's about them. Not, not often, always, pretty much always, unless the other person is somebody whose opinion you absolutely deeply respect and value. And I would suggest there should only be about three people on this earth who have that opinion and never put it above your own. Mm. And in that workplace uh, scenario, when someone is saying, well, you don't know anything, you've only been here two minutes and you're not even 30. <laughs> that's got nothing to do with you. That's got to do with the other person feeling insecure about the fact that they are probably getting a bit past it. They don't have a TikTok. They probably don't <laughs> even know what a TikTok is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's yeah, about true. their insecurity. And similarly, if other people say, oh, well, why are you going vegan? Well, that's because they're paranoid that they're missing out on something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's, there's so much, you know, we've all heard this about, you know, if you change habits and you stop becoming the friend who eats all of the cake, the friends who eat all of the cake with you are not going to like it. Mm, the yeah. same if you don't, if you do um, dry January, your mates who go for cocktails are not going to like that. Mm. Well, that's not because there's something wrong with you. It's because they're feeling insecure, which is also not a judgment on them. That's a totally natural human reaction. So I would always say to people, and this, you know, relates to uh, more practical examples of confidence and public speaking as well, or moments when you're stepping up, you know, be really, really careful where you take your feedback and judgment from. Yes. And be careful that you're not reflecting things onto yourself that are actually a reflection of someone else. Um, obviously, in workplace, this is in, in work scenarios generally, it's really problematic because mm. younger people will face those stereotypes. Mm. And you just have to smile, be happy, high status, don't be petty. They are being petty. Yeah. You can rise above that without, you know, telling them, I am going to rise above this. <laughs> You are being petty. You can think that to yourself and just smile and think, you know, in this culture that we've lived in for 400,000 years of patriarchy and not expecting somebody who's 25 to run their own billion dollar company, which they could very easily now. Mm -hmm. They couldn't have done that 100 years ago. Uh, in this culture we've been living in, it's normal for people to think if you're young, you don't know anything mm. because that's what everybody's thought for 400,000 years. It may be no longer true, mm. but that isn't going to be an easy transition for people to make just as it's not going to be an easy transition for people to think a 60 year old woman with flowing gray locks is really, really sexy. I've just slightly made myself cringe by saying that and I hope my children don't listen to this. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. don't, just because other people are trapped in stereotypes, it doesn't mean that you have to be. Mm. And it doesn't mean that you have to call them out on it all of the time because that's completely exhausting. Yeah, and um, it doesn't bode well, I don't think, either as the person, if you've ever tried to do that, I don't think it never really has the desired effect because I don't think they're not going to receive it well. You don't actually, I don't think you come off looking good. I, I really, I've written down, I have my pencil in my hand, I keep writing things down and I underline this word petty because I think as you've used it, it's such a great word to describe that feeling because nobody wants to be petty. Nobody wants to feel like they're being petty or being called petty. And I think the idea that you said it's the opposite of petty just is so brilliant because yeah, I think, I think we all nobody would want to have that yeah. thing or be called petty. and it's not to um it's not to minimize certain situations mm. where somebody really may be out of line or being aggressive or really crossing a line you know you have to be really careful especially at work that is is this actually just something where you could give a petty response or has this person actually transgressed in some way that you might need to check in with someone else? Mm. You know, this person is actually being a bit insulting to me or this person is patronizing me. Or if it's a pattern of behavior that's undermining you, that's something you should check in with other people about or maybe keep a record of. Mm. Um, it, but I think sometimes we don't, we're so quick to be injured by things that don't actually matter and are, that are a reflection of someone else's insecurity. We don't want to be lumping those instances in with more serious yeah. matters yeah. that are that could even have legal repercussions, right? Yeah. Um, there was something I thought of that would be really useful for 
younger people in particular to think about that I heard recently, I want to use for myself. I'm not lumping myself in with younger people, unfortunately for me. Um, but I'm definitely young, young at heart. Um, Barack Obama gave a quote recently where he was talking about how to get on at work. And he said, it doesn't matter what age you are, but in particular, if you're young and you haven't got very much experience, this is always going to work for you. Say to people, let me take care of that for you. So find whatever that thing is mm. that that person you want to impress or that place where you want to get on. What is the issue that they need taking care of? And you think to yourself, let me take care of that for you. Yes. And I thought, how brilliant is that? Yeah. And I... And I try and think of that if I'm doing work in front of an audience, if I'm doing comedy, if I'm hosting, I will think, okay, what is the thing that needs taken care of? Yeah. Like, do they need to be fit, made to feel welcome? Do they need to be made to feel okay? Do they need to laugh? You know, do they need to find something entertaining? Do they need some lightness? Do they need a couple of little inspiring points or something serious? Do they need a reset? Let me take care of that for you. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I love that. And I think it can be so applicable to the the one thing that you do, not better than everyone, but better than a lot of people. So I think everyone has something where they might just think yes. everyone's good at that. But actually, it's the thing. I see that potential in people sometimes. I say to them, you're so good at that. And I know, for example, myself, I know the thing that I'm like, I can do this so well. And I think that's a good example of going, let me take care of that for you, because that is actually my skill. That's my talent. I can do that. I can motivate you. Just me. Give me five minutes. I can motivate you. Whatever the goal yeah. is, I can help you feel like suddenly you're like, I, I, want, I can do it. Yeah, absolutely. And like you say, I think, and this is also tying in with confidence. I think the things that we can be confident about, and we all have incredibly diverse and weird and varied talents and skills and passions no two of us are exactly alike mm -hmm. in our skills and passions and uh, that we can bring to the world whether it's that you know you've got a lovely singing voice or you just have a great way of expressing things or like you have amazing facial expressions that make people see oh that's what's really going on here like even yeah, tiny yeah. things that you know we recognize from our friends we don't give ourselves enough credit for those things yeah. and we don't draw our confidence from them because we take them for granted yes. so being careful that you don't take yourself for granted you know if you are quiet and humble and vulnerable and sensitive don't take that for granted yeah. those it's, it's, are the attributes of artists a valuable skill and a valuable trait that so many people would love to have my son when you said that my son he is a diplomat he's always been a calm right. he's a calming influence even even at you know four seven ten I got told this from friends from teachers and I thought it's not like me at all I've never been told in my life oh you're a calming influence on anyone but that's his nature that's his skill that's his talent he doesn't know he's doing it he's 12 years old but he is a natural diplomat he can diffuse and negotiate and make a group get along wow that's an amazing skill well let's let's how old is he let's elect him to his public office <laughs> and let's have a 12 year old as the prime minister he would, but, he, but he wouldn't switch leave. this is the thing about you okay. he would never leave he would never voluntarily lead that's why i think again we we think sometimes that certain and and we could do a whole other episode which i would love to for parents and for how we can impart some of this onto young people or approach some of these things about exactly what we've just discussed there around we might as parents expect extroversion or we might encourage extroversion or we might think that if our child is more confident extrovert and we think in that way and as we said at the start that is not confidence that that's going to set them up and you know they'll be more successful when I think if we could lean into who they really are and teach them to say well if you are the you know diplomat might not be the word but if you don't volunteer to lead that doesn't necessarily mean that the role that you're playing in the group is any less valuable or important yeah I think the definition of success is so important mm. because that's a very 1980s definition of success that we've always had for a long time in relation to confidence of you know go I mean I'm the one who talks about owning the room but in that sense of like go and own the room Sweet. nail the pitch <laughs> you know all that kind of like bro talk uh, it's very cap it's a very capitalist version of in inverted commas success yeah. and uh, it also I don't think even works I mean, we've seen on The Apprentice and Dragon's Den a million times that 
being that stereotype doesn't work always anyway it, really? it's often something much more creative and organic that and genuine and authentic that actually works mm. in most scenarios but for me the definition of success for a child or an adult is does this feel comfortable and right for you is this going to give you a good night's sleep and that at the end of the day you'll think yeah I was myself today I feel okay about it and that you never feel less than. And you don't think, oh, I need to be more like my friend who's really good at tap dancing and is going to go to the Italia Conti school, you know, mm. for performing children. Not that there's anything wrong with performing children, but you being confident is not mm. about, you know, being able to play Annie on the West End yeah. when you are nine. <laughs> Although great kudos to the, the little girls who do that. It's not the only only definition of confidence. You know, the definition of confidence is you on your best day feeling like you've got this yes and that is going to look totally different on every single person and thank god spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine with the weather warming up it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a pilates class or outdoor guided walk peloton has everything you need to help you get going Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Well, this is the perfect segue to take us into talking about the power hour because you just mentioned it then. You said, you know, going to bed or waking up feeling like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I've got this. I'm not feeling yet overwhelmed and stressed and constantly trying to change and adapt. And as I use the word dilute, you know, I don't do that anymore. But for years, I don't think I realized that's what I was doing was trying to dilute the version of me, which was, you know, too much or trying to be, uh, what's the word? Mm. People who are people who are laid back, people who are nonchalant. I'm ne- I'm not those things. So trying to think today, I'm going to be nonchalant. It's like, no, Adrian, you're not. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about the power hour. Uh, for listeners of the show, they know the concept very well, but essentially it's about the first hour of your day. When you wake up in the morning, what you choose to do, what you choose not to do, it isn't necessarily saying that the power hour must be this idea of a perfect morning routine where you get up and you you know, nail the day. But it's about creating that environment, as we said, for how you want to feel for the rest of the day. So Viv, what does the first hour of your day look like? Well, the first hour of my day is very based on the fact that I really value unpredictability and challenge and surprise. I get very easily bored I'm a real sort of butterfly mind. So I would never have a fixed idea. I could never be in the army. The The, the country would be invaded and we would all die <laughs> if I was in the army because I could not get up at the same time every day. I could do it maybe for three weeks or six weeks or six months um, for a particular reason. Yeah. But it has to respond to whatever the moment that I'm going through in my life demands. So I'm freelance. I have ton of different work commitments I travel a lot Um, I have two kids at home one kid at university have my husband who works um, need to run the house I've got an absolutely mental cat called Julian who gets up at five o'clock every day (laughs) Um, but my day is just gonna it will look different according to the demands of the moment so a lot of the time like this morning I got up at 5 30 and I went to go swimming because I swim in the Thames um, and during COVID, I did that every single day sometimes yeah. very early because I love to see the sunrise um, because I could, I physically could, I didn't have commitments. And when there was the transition between COVID and getting back to normal life, whatever that is, uh, I was kind of horrified. I was like, oh no, I'm going to lose my, lose my swims, going to lose Your my routine. But I, yeah. yeah. But I realized, no, it's okay. That was the power hour for that particular time of life. You know, to everything, there is a season. That was that season. We're now moving into a different season. If it's not going to fit, you need to switch it up. So now I would take that time whenever I can. So, for example, this morning, it was massively inconvenient because I didn't get in till 1.30 last night because I was at the podcast awards. (laughs) And then I had to get up at 5.30. (laughs) And uh, also, I had, I cut my hand earlier this 
week I tripped over while sober I hasten to add um, and I can't swim at the moment because you shouldn't swim in the Thames with a cut so that's a very bad idea mm. but I thought actually I'm not really going for the swim I go to see people I go to be in nature I go for the routine yeah. and so I made myself go and I'm really happy that I did because next week um, I'm going up to Edinburgh for the week because I'm assistant directing a show in a theatre and then my power hour will be probably getting up at seven and going for a walk for half an hour um, if I feel like it. A lot of my power hour is if I feel like it. I've Mm -hmm. got to be honest. Mm -hmm. I'm very much that kind of person. And before I then start my working day between Mm -hmm. probably eight and nine o'clock, I think it's so important when you set up for the day to realize that it has to be right for that day. And you have to ask yourself, how do I run my days? How do I run my weeks? How does that relate to the way other people do that? You know, I I really love the work of um, Gretchen Rubin, who's the author of The Happiness Project and The Four Tendencies. And one of the big tenets of her work is accepting that we're not as different as we like to think that we are, but the ways in which we're different are the most important things about us. And there are some people who love to get up at five o'clock in the morning every single day. And they would, you know, I just, I just did a job um, with a woman who's done yoga at five o'clock every morning for six years, Mm. every single morning, she would never miss a morning. And that makes her feel good. Mm. I would feel as if I was trapped in prison if I did that. But recognizing that actually there have been times in my life when I have gone through periods of having a moment like that for myself in the mornings mm-hmm. and then I'll drift into a different rhythm yeah. and at the moment the rhythm of my life is quite chaotic so I let the first hour of the day be determined by whatever else that day needs yeah I think in some ways I there are some similarities myself as someone who you know I've been talking about the power hour I think I've been doing a power hour of sorts for 10 years actually yeah since or maybe more since my son was born so probably 12 years but I think for me the seasons that you mentioned that really speaks to me because I will have seasons where especially as a runner I'll have a race that I'm training for and there's a reason that's why I sign up to races in the first place is that I know okay for the next four months for example at the start of this year training for the London Marathon was it was you know the rest of my day or week might be busy there's other commitments kids work so for me it was like okay I had a training plan I'm going to stick to it but you best believe after the marathon the week after the marathon I didn't run I didn't run once because it wasn't obviously you know I was recovering etc but I almost felt like I was becoming uh, a little bit resentful a little bit bored a little bit like oh I've got to do this now because of this race and then after it was done I felt like I want something new I want some focus on something in the morning I might switch to Pilates I might go to a class so I'm not having to think someone else is leading me I might switch to walking I might switch to reading I still have something before I'm you know into work mode or onto my phone or doing kids breakfast but it switches because otherwise I get I get stale redundant and then yeah it feels like now it's a task and a chore as opposed to this choice that I'm spending this hour doing something that I want to do Mm. yeah I love the distinction you make there between being committed to something and it being right for you so there are times when you can just be committed like if you're um you know training for something specifically you have to have commitment in order for that to work Mm -hmm. but then there are other times when you just think well no actually this doesn't feel right I need to take a rest day I need to switch up um I was always amazed once because I'm I'm not a naturally exercising person I've gone through periods of my life when I have been deep into exercise maybe for up to a year it doesn't usually stick for beyond a year I'm going to try and fix this in my 50s I think but I was amazed when I would work with a coach or a trainer and they would I would ask them about other people and how they find these habits and how they manage things and they would talk to me about people who I thought were amazingly like you amazingly physically fit and motivated and they revealed to me this incredible secret of like those people also hate exercising (laughs) and I was like what this cannot be true like Mm -hmm. I always assumed that some people just find that really really easy and they just want to do it all of the time and that's not true and that absolutely 
blew my mind because I realized, oh, it's not just about doing things when you feel like it. It's about doing things when it's right for you. So is it right for me to exercise and go to my swimming and be with these people at this time in the morning, even though I may not feel like it and I came home really late last night? Well, no, it is right for me. And it might not be easy, but it's a good thing to have done and recognizing you know when I found out that Olympic athletes don't even really like exercise I was like yeah this is great these are my kind of people after all you see and not only that they don't always (laughs) like it but I think also the assumptions I've had two assumptions about me and my running one is that you love it you must love running every single day which of course isn't true and the second one is that well you're just naturally good at it you're just good at running that's another misconception I'm like I'm not good at running especially endurance running which is why I do it I do things that challenge me I do things that I find difficult sometimes I'm like why Adrian doing this when you know I always say I'm a Jamaica I'm Jamaican blood I'm a sprinter I should be doing 100 meters I shouldn't be doing a marathon but the assumption that if you're not good at it you wouldn't do it I think is is also another one so whatever the exercise it is you know knowing that you doesn't even if you're not good at yoga even if you're not you know doesn't mean that actually there's no value in you showing up doing it and I mean there's there's a line with it isn't there so if you for example something that you really hate and you're not good at so for example with me that's probably like swimming and cycling you know people say to me when are you going to do a triathlon and the truth is never never ever ever because I'm not I don't have a fixed mindset but I wouldn't enjoy any of it I wouldn't enjoy training I wouldn't enjoy swimming I wouldn't enjoy a single moment so then it just becomes suffering for no reason you know there's a difference so yeah I would encourage people to say hear that message that even if you don't enjoy it all the time professional athletes don't and even if you're not naturally good at it or the best you can still you can still make it a part of your life yeah and those tenets are also true of public speaking performing uh talking in front of other people when you feel nervous (laughs) like you don't have to enjoy it it's okay to not enjoy it and find it difficult and you don't even have to be particularly good because you can do it and get better it's always true and all these things are really about confidence Mm. and we think confidence is about doing the things we want to do because we are really good at them well, that's not confidence at all. It's maybe the opposite of confidence. It's kind of laziness, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, confidence it's is... default. Well, yeah, confidence is doing something, trusting yourself to do something that is just outside of your comfort zone. Mm. Wow. And we should all be able to do that, but we beat, beat ourselves up yeah. and we don't need to. Yeah. Thank you so much, Viv. I'm sure that the listeners have enjoyed this episode just as much as I have. It's just gone by so, so quickly. I knew that I would love it. I feel like we could definitely, as I say, talk about so many other topics that I didn't even get to talk to you about on my list. So thank you so much for giving us your time. Oh, thank you so much. And you totally embody happy high status and everything about you. So thank you for that lovely, relaxed, warm energy that you bring to everything. Thank you. And thank you everyone for listening, tuning in as always. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please do share it with someone who you think would enjoy this conversation too. Send it to them on WhatsApp. Send them a DM and say, hey, you should listen to this brilliant conversation between Viv Groskop and Adrienne. And as always, I will be back next week with another episode. Bye, Viv. Bye-bye. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.